welcome to the Drunk Dietitians podcast, co-hosted by your favorite tipsy registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, co-owner of Dietitians of Palm Valley, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. Us dietitian besties can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we're medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So grab your favorite cocktail and join us for our favorite casual happy hour and expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Cheers. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. Today's episode is such a special one. First of all, it's the first time that we've had four people on at once, so myself and Jenna as hosts, and then we had the amazing Allie and Hannah from the Let Us Eat Cake podcast. They are two registered dietitians um, who specialize in eating disorder. And, you know, we started this conversation with fad dieting and um, what that really looks like and how we can have disordered eating behaviors and how that can actually catapult into eating disorder and the risks that are associated with that. We brushed on the surface of even how medical professionals are some of the leading contributors um, to promoting disordered eating behaviors. And so getting really honest in that conversation as well. Um, o- along the way, of course, we, we tie all of this in and wrap it with a bow of relating all of this to COVID-19 and keeping it very relevant with the, the situation that we're, we're all in right now. And so you have four dietitians on this podcast, um, two from Canada, two from the U.S. There's a wealth of knowledge and research, but deeper than that, there is a relatability to these ladies and how they speak so eloquently about, about everything related to nutrition, body, um, et cetera. So I don't want to keep you any further. This is just such a great conversation. Um, and definitely if, if any of this strikes a nerve or pulls on your heartstrings, whether it, you, it feels very relatable for you or maybe a friend or a family member, um, don't be afraid to share this episode, uh, because I think you're going to find it super, super helpful. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. I'm going to crack my uh, phony drink over here. Uh, before we, we started recording, I had shared that I had a few too many beers during the NFL draft last night. So were any of you guys drinking during the draft or was that just me? I didn't even know it was on. <laughs> Jenna, it's like the only sporting event, sporting event air quotes that's happened since this is all went down. Back me up, girls. <laughs> I, I was definitely following the draft. I was definitely drinking last night, um, but not while watching. But I was following virtually. There we go. Perfect. Um, so I should probably intro our guests. So today is the first time that we've had two people on 
with us at once. So there are four voices that you will hear on this episode. Um, we have Miss Hannah Robinson and Allie Eberhart. They are two registered dietitians from Vancouver, Canada, um, which is super exciting. They host their own podcast um, that is called the Let Us Eat Cake podcast, which I've had the pleasure of being a guest on where we actually talked all about travel, um, which right now we're not going to talk about <laughs> yeah. travel at all. Um, oh, if we had only known. Yes, but whenever the world opens back up, it will be a great podcast for people to reference. Um, but they are health at every size, Hayes trained dietitians. They both work at St. Paul's Hospital um, and they specialize in eating disorder um, programming there. Uh, they promote a healthy relationship with food, practicing love and respect towards your body. So we're going to really talk today all things fad diets um, and absolutely have the conversation shift um, towards eating disorder and just more information on that. But before we do that, um, Jenna, I'm going to have you take it away with a little bit of rapid fire. Well, you both have to answer, but like at the same time. Mm, okay. This is going to be so fun. Okay, so ready? Yes. Wine or beer? Wine. Oh my God, you're twins. I thought they were sisters, and now they're proving to be. <laughs> I'm surprised that I, Hannah said wine. I definitely drink more beer, but I think I've always, like, I've had a longer relationship with wine, so that's where my instinct went. And I drank cool. wine last night, so it's on my mind. <laughs> there you go. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh, two for two. Okay, here's my favorite new one. Runny egg yolk or hard-boiled? Runny. Runny. Three for three. I wasn't sure what other yes, option was going to be, but I was like, <laughs> I didn't even need another I was option. Like, are you going to give me ham? Because like it could come right out of the chicken, and I'd be fine. Um. Okay. Ready? Sand or snow? Sand. Sand. Amazing. Okay. I want to do a lie. I want to ask. I want to ask something that's going to like really throw you for a loop, but it's not like it's not hitting me right now. We're going to go right into the peanut butter, crunchy or smooth? Smooth. Crunchy. Yes. We have <laughs> one of each. I'm team smooth. Crunchy. Crunchy. So Hannah's with Sammy on this one, and Allie is with Jenna. I am strongly by my. You know, I feel like I just want to get right into the podcast because this is going to be way too much fun. But so we're going to go right into that final answer of if you could have one thing in limitless quantities, but it can't be money. Each of you take a turn and answer. What would it be? <laughs> are you the same person? <laughs> like, are we supposed to be like deep and say like love or happiness, or should we say, <laughs> go either way? Sunshine. <laughs> I would take like aeroplane points. Aeroplane, <laughs> but like travel points because then it, it's my work around the money piece, so I can still travel. Um, and go, yeah. I love that. Okay. Once all this clears. Yeah. <laughs> I would have limitless vacation hours. <laughs> you two are, you answered the question the same way. Yeah. Words. That was, <laughs> so congratulations on I that. <laughs> I was, 
<laughs> I was very surprised you guys didn't bring this back to Limitless Contiki Tours, which I still have yet to look up since our Wait previous- Wait a minute. My mom went on a Contiki tour. She talked <laughs> yeah. about it like it's the best thing that's ever happened to her in like 1980. <laughs> like, I feel like it probably was in 1980. Like, <laughs> it's probably at its prime then. Yeah. And this is so funny. I think she went to like Jamaica and like all these places and she always talks about it. I'm like, that's not a real thing, <laughs> but maybe it is. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to get back to this. I'm staring at your website right now though and or your podcast website and i just want to bring this back to really set the stage for the conversation today that on their blog it states that Allie and hannah are dedicated to ditching diet culture taking weight stigma and fat phobia head on and cutting the bullshit out of health and wellness like could this podcast mashup be any more meant to be right now i'm so pumped for this um this is like so exciting i feel like we're gonna have a lot of great chemistry so what which fad diet should we talk about first <laughs> I've been getting asked a lot about intermittent fasting again lately and I feel like it's because people are looking at the like endless hours in the day and trying to like impose some sort of like control or rules on the fact that they feel overwhelmed by like endless hours um, I, I see a lot of bloggers talking about intermittent fasting right now as well. Yeah. Like bloggers with big names pushing that they're doing it and how they're losing the baby weight and it's such BS. What's your answer back on that one? Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> I think like more from like the validating why people are going in that direction. Like I think this time of like, there's just nothing but warnings, like diet culture, just really trying to like scare people into not trusting themselves. And it seems like it's the natural go-to because with intermittent fasting for a lot of the recommendations it's less about like what foods you have access to and more about rules around like the timing and like limiting when you're eating which probably for some feels like a safe alternative when they're like i don't always have all the variety of foods to follow maybe like keto or whatever other diet but that they do have they can control their timing so the first thing I always talk about is like, it makes total sense that you want to, you know, set those rules for yourself or like why you would think that that sounds like a good strategy. Um, but then like always bringing it back to the science about like fueling our body regularly and consistently and anytime we like set those rules. And the other piece that's coming up a lot is around people's concern about having access to food all mm -hmm. the time as well. And we know that um, to really interrupt that restrict binge cycle, we need people eating consistently. And so intermittent fasting kind of sets people up for exactly what they're afraid of. And so it's a little bit of taking that thing that you're really scared of and exposing yourself through it, to it throughout the day, which is regular normalized eating, which won't really be <laughs> able to happen with intermittent fasting. Yeah. I think that's that's so true that that is coming up a lot right now. One, because of just, I think, sheer popularity, but exactly what you guys said. If you can't leave the house and you only have certain foods, like how do we just try to control timing? Um, I'm trying to think right now, are there any other diets that you guys are getting asked about frequently? Like anything like that from an actual like, bad diet standpoint? Seeing a lot of is this shift now to like, like more whole foods, which is like so fascinating to me, given the fact that with the pandemic, we've seen like all the shelves on the grocery store empty of these foods that were previously demonized, like <laughs> packaged and canned foods. 
but at the same time, like definitely on social media, I'm seeing tons of people talking about like preparing all their own foods, like everything from preparing their own oat milks to baking their own bread and this whole idea that like the only nutrition you can get is when you prepare things yourself and when it, you grow it from your own garden. So this like real purist turn, like spin on food, I've been seeing a lot of as well, which is really hard for people who don't have access to, to those types of foods and that way of living. Have you seen the name? I feel like people are just like so tired right now. Like, and this is something that like, I've been talking to my clients about a ton. Like obviously this isn't a vacation that we're all on, even if you're not working right now, or if you're like, you know, having to step away from those things, like just the level of like energy and anxiety that we're all feeling like is exhausting. And so if there's this pressure that like, I'm exhausted and I have to bake muffins and start my own sourdough starter and like do all these things to like keep up with my neighbor, like, or my Instagram friends, like, I feel like it just adds this added layer of stress and anxiety onto our bodies and onto ourselves. And then it further kind of like perpetuates that idea of like, just playing catch up and just feeling like you're not doing enough and the guilt and shame, like all layers. So true. That's such a powerful way to put it. Um, there's a meme on Instagram that I saw the other day that was like a canned food aisle that was all empty. And it was like something along the lines of, I guess we're not afraid of BPA and GMOs anymore, <laughs> are we? Right. Like, so interesting how- It's fascinating. It's <laughs> really like real scarcity moments of like survival. And suddenly these are the foods people are turning to get posting something totally different all over social media so that anyone who is eating out of a can or eating frozen foods feels a ton of guilt and shame and like they're not supporting their health. Which Absolutely. I keep um, using this like kind of analogy with my, my clients and patients to kind of like explain why we're all feeling the like intense emotions or like intense response to just like small changes in food. And like for most people I've told it to, it kind of like resonates, but I like use the example of like walking home from work. So on like a normal day, I would like walk home from work at like 4.30 or 5. It's like bright and sunny. I might be listening to my iPhone or like listening to music or whatever, a podcast. Um, and I'm probably like not paying much attention to like my setting or my environment. Like I kind of walk the same path every day or like route. So it's like, I'm not really like aware or super conscious. But if I was walking like that same route home from work at like two in the morning when it's pitch black, I'm all by myself. I definitely wouldn't have my earbuds in. I would definitely not be like just bloody da. I'd be pretty hyper aware and hyper vigilant about my surroundings. And that's kind of similar to what our bodies are interpreting right now. Like even if we're not feeling like acutely stressed, like our bodies are absorbing the energy from like the anxieties around us and the people around us. So even if we're walking the same path and doing the same thing, little shifts and little changes our body is like super hyper vigilant and aware of so like even eating a little bit less frequently or trying to like impart a new diet like our body's interpreting that is like such a bigger threat and this like fight or flight freeze response and so like a lot of my clients are feeling like so destabilized right now and trying to understand why because they're like i'm doing the same thing or i'm doing less or i should be feeling better or like i have more time for self-care but so why am i feeling like so overwhelmed and same as like the pressures of like, I need to bake something different or cook or eat something different. Like our body's absorbing that in just such a different way because we are in this state of like hyper arousal, even if we're not like super conscious of it. So I think that any of these like pressures like change food or change the way we're eating 
are like just layering onto that in a way that we're not even like fully consciously aware of, but it's having these lasting impacts. Of course, we're exhausted. That's such a wonderful analogy. I love analogies. That's the in all of us. Yes. <laughs> just give me like 10 more analogies and, and I'll be happy. But I think it just speaks volumes because it lights up the other side of the brain and it takes it away from food and, and body and just really makes that like so understandable because it, that's, that's just such a realistic way to look at it. Um, and I, I do want to ask you guys about, so we had Brenna O'Malley on here um, a few episodes back, um, otherwise known as The Well Full on um, Instagram, and she's awesome. And she was kind of covering for us this trend on social media, like all of the memes about like weight gain during quarantine, so like the quarantine 15 or like the COVID-19 and all that. So we, we've got that covered. So I can see you guys fuming, but don't worry. We're not going to ask you to talk about it. Um, but another trend, and I know that you are not physicians, but another trend I'm seeing that there are a few physicians that are stepping up and kind of back, like fighting back to this is, and it's kind of off of what Hannah was talking about, but how, you, you can like eat your way to health and um, to fight off COVID-19 by like a, a better immune system with food. So to people that come to you kind of maybe asking that or when you see that, like how do you cover that with your clients um, and with your patients? Well, it's very clear that there is no specific food or supplement that you can take that will cure or prevent COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Point blank. That's what we need to start our conversation with. There is, if there was a food, we would all know by, about it by now. When it comes to immunity, there again, there isn't a specific food that we can, that we can eat it's more about your overall health picture. And when we look at health, are there things we can do with food that improves immunity, improves health? Yes, it's eating, eating frequently, eating a variety of foods, eating to meet our needs. And that really needs to be the foundation. So we can't look at specific things. It's not black and white. It's really that whole picture and making sure that you're eating enough to support your body and your immune system so it can function properly. And like, if we think of that stress example, I was saying like stress is one of the biggest factors that impacts our immune system and our like ability to fight illness. And so, you know, if we're doing things like skipping meals, skipping snacks to avoid weight change, um, or with this idea that like, if left to our own, own devices, we're gonna come out of this world pandemic with some sort of change to our body that we're not going to like, um, then our body is again interpreting that as stress. Like in a fight or flight mode, our body is anticipating a threat. And so if it's, if on top of the like anxiety threat that it's anticipating or interpreting or getting lack of access to food, or it's assuming that we're not eating regularly and consistently because we don't have enough nutrition, then that also is going to amplify our stress. And it's like these two anxiety, like the anxiety of the world and then the anxiety of our body feeling deficit, like layering onto each other and just amplifying. And so that's going to have a bigger impact on your immune system and your health than, you know, incorporating some nutrient that, you know, you isolate to give it a lot of power when you're not looking like Hannah said at your whole picture of health. I love that because when you layer that 
concept on top of the episode that we recorded with um, Alyssa Olenek, Little List Fitness, and talking about fitness as a stressor when done improperly or done to an extreme mm-hmm. or done irregularly, meaning like too much of, um, you see these fitness professionals now speaking up on Instagram, talking professionals in air quotes, talking about like how much to be moving right now and burpees to burn off your Easter candy and all this BS. And then also offering their nutrition advice. I'm seeing that so much more now that they're coupling like bundles with like nutrition packages that I personally want. I would never spend a dollar on, but I I just want to see so that I can like put it out there and be like, no (laughs) to all of it, but I will not go there. But, you know, layering on top of that, that fitness can be a stressor when all of these other stressors are going on and that there is actually no stress release happening right now because we're in this, like you said so beautifully, in this constant state of like hyper arousal. Are you seeing in your space, like fitness being abused more now because of all of this? Yeah, big time. I think, you know, both of us are experiencing with our clients and patients just an increase in in coping strategies, right? And unfortunately, eating disorders, the way that they use our clients or our patients use or misuse food or treat their body is part of their coping strategy, maladaptive and unhealthy in the long run, but certainly effective in the short term. And so definitely seeing like an increase in symptoms related to an eating disorder, exercise movement, how we how we are active in the day is like sort of a socially accepted eating disorder symptom for some. And so with like all nonstop movement opportunities at like your fingertips, especially from the space of your own home, like I think a lot of our clients and patients are feeling that same pressure that like a lot of us may be as well. Like certainly we are not immune to those comments or those messages either. Um, But yeah, like I definitely am seeing a lot more of my clients feeling like that should like even less so than when they're in kind of the regular world, they're able to kind of notice more like how the routine or how the pressures they're putting on themselves to like skip going out with friends so that they can fit in a workout. But when it's nothing but unstructured time, like this seems like a quote unquote healthy way to structure their time, but as a result puts more pressure to like fill time through moving your body in this kind of like compensation way. And I think even the fact that dumbbells are the most popular item to buy off Amazon right now and are completely sold out across the world like toilet paper was a few weeks ago just goes to show that pressure that people are experiencing of everyone else is doing this so I should too and we've had clients saying to us like well what if I am the only one who comes out of this quarantine not more fit or maybe having gained weight Like if everyone is doing it, I want to be doing it too. So it's not only that coping mechanism, which is so helpful and powerful to our patients, but it's also that comparison and that peer pressure, which makes it so difficult to manage when you're on your own. And they say that price gouging doesn't happen, but I saw dumbbells on Amazon listed for $300 for a year. Okay. So I love Amazon. I love Amazon, (laughs) but they were like 20. I mean, I've seen the desperation. I wouldn't be surprised if people would be that. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, I mean, I think this time, especially, it's like putting a magnifying glass over our relationship with food and fitness and body, because like you said, there's just all this unstructured time or maybe being stuck in the same environment if we're not allowed to go to work or whatnot. Um, So if you don't mind kind of enlightening us, you don't have to like 
necessarily like quote studies, but you're more than <laughs> welcome to um, if you have those in your brain right now, but just kind of connecting the dots with like disordered eating behaviors, fad dieting, eating disorder, and how it all is kind of intertwined. Like, how do you explain that to people? So we, we definitely know that just um, dieting is a risk factor for disordered eating. And it's, um, they see it in studies with kids, definitely. Like those like children who spend more time dieting are more susceptible to eating disorders later in life, especially that weight cycling piece because it becomes really challenging to manage your weight if you've gone through um, periods of weight loss and weight gain and the effects that that has on metabolism. So we know that these behaviors, disordered eating behaviors, are also very similar to eating disorder behaviors. And it's this continuum and this spectrum and what, what really differentiates the two is how it, like the effect that it's having on your life and your ability to function and also on your health as well. We know that with disordered eating behaviors, many of them don't have immediate implications on your health, but many of them over time have these effects on the physical health and the mental health, which become harder and harder to reverse as time goes on. So if we're able to address those disordered eating behaviors, which point blank are dieting early on, then we do a better job at pre preventing eating disorders in the long term. That can be a really hard thing to work with your clients around like many of us like i know i experienced this myself if i am doing something and there isn't like a adverse outcome right away then i'm like well i'm not that motivated to stop right but having someone else being like but you could get osteoporosis and you could get um like all the I'm trying to think of all these adverse health outcomes that could happen but um like the example I had was when I was a kid and I didn't want to drink milk. And my parents were like, well, when you're older, you could get osteoporosis. And I'm like, I do not have osteoporosis now. I don't want to drink the milk. And now that I'm getting older and I'm realizing I don't have as much ability to like have control over that, it's suddenly way more important. And I think those same warnings go with disordered eating and dieting and trying to help people prevent the onset of eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like definitely along with that, like the, because there is obviously like a lot of research to suggest that there is in part a genetic component to the development of an eating disorder. And, you know, kind of similar to other uh, genetic disorders, like not really being sure why it is that it gets turned on in some and not in others. But that, again, like Hannah said, like that restrictive style of eating or imparting rule based eating on someone who already is genetically predisposed is you know, the increases the likelihood that their eating patterns are going to go from a disordered realm for someone who maybe doesn't have that genetic predisposition to an eating disorder that can get quite severe quite quickly. And, um, you know, and I mean, that's what makes eating disorders so complex and so complicated to treat is that there isn't just one cause and there isn't just one risk factor and someone might have all the risk factors and not develop an eating disorder and someone might have very few of the risk factors and develop a very severe and enduring eating disorder. But Certainly like restrictive style eating, any sort of rule-based eating, reduction of intake or, you know, reduction of certain nutrients, both macro or micro is known to have a great impact on like turning on that genetic predisposition. And so it's like rolling the dice with a very, very high risk that like people don't realize when they're like helping their child lose their baby fat or, 
you know, encouraging someone to go to a Weight Watchers meeting, not realizing that that could be the last sort of catalyst that sets someone off to a road of like a very serious, you know, mental illness and one of the most severe mental illness that there is. Highest mortality rate, for sure. So for our listeners that are maybe listening to this and thinking, because I think you answered this already to some extent, but maybe to clarify, there might be some people listening that are either aware or maybe somewhat aware or not yet aware of what disordered eating really means. And I think it can mean so many different things and you just nailed so many of them, but can we take a couple minutes to just kind of define from your experience and expertise, like what is disordered eating? So, and for anybody listening and everybody listening, we're not saying that you all have disordered eating patterns if you've done one of these things one time, but it's something to be more cognizant of, I think, especially during this time when we are thinking more and we are thinking more about food, you know, these feelings and thoughts might be coming up more. Um, and I think it's, it's important to be aware. Yeah, like I think for me, one of the biggest telltale signs about how eating patterns fall into that disordered realm is if it takes you out of alignment from trusting your body. So if you're eating in a way of compensating from an action from the day before or in, in, in anticipation of a future event, if you're acting in a way that, you know, is controlling of the fact that you don't trust your body when allowed to do what it is like intended to do. So that might be, you know, eating in a fed window, that might be cutting out a certain food group, that might be, you know, um, exercising in a way to compensate for foods you actually prefer to eat or forbidding yourself from eating foods you prefer to eat. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have an eating disorder when you have a disordered relationship with food, but it does mean that you're out of alignment with that like trust of your physical body and that relationship is getting damaged and broken. And for some that does have irreversible, like in the sense of like that pattern, if not addressed, can get, you know, intensify more and more. And for others, it can just be that a life of like not having a relationship of like love and trust with your body, but both have like pretty significant impact on our mental health, which is like just as important as our physical health. I think it's also important to just note that a lot of social media influencers, medical professionals, et cetera, promote disordered eating behaviors. I knew you were going to say that and I love you for it. <laughs> I mean, we have to go there because, you know, it, it, I see posts on social media about people talking about like, oh, you have more time during the quarantine, like perfect time to cut calories, lose weight and get your summer body. Like, no, fuck you. No, like I, I can't. When you live in the summer. like so that's where I think people struggle because they're hearing it from like I mean influencers that have no medical background like whatever like we don't have time to discuss you but medical professionals that are making people believe that they're doing something to better their health but then it's actually setting them back and creating more issues like how do you guys work through that with your with your clients or just kind of navigating that conversation? Well, the thing that I've come to realize is that as dietitians, we don't have something glamorous to offer our patients, right? <laughs> and I think that that is why there are so many other people, influencers, 
from many different backgrounds there telling people and giving them health and nutrition advice. And they're able to take specific foods or take specific foods out or add supplements in. And they are able to promise quick, they do promise quick fixes, whether those things happen or not is another story. But that is way more appealing to someone who wants a fast change, right? And so if they're able to buy something or cut something out or make something super black and white, that can be really appealing to a consumer. We know as dietitians that if we want to see changes, we need to work on behaviors and we're in it for the long game. We want to see long-term changes. We want to see things that change people's lives, increase their quality of life and their total well-being. We don't see health as just being physical. We see it as emotional and mental and spiritual and relational. And so we need to consider so many different factors. And so when, when we see people um, out there selling things that are black and white quick fixes, we need to help the people that we're working with ask, are these going to be changes that I can make forever? Are these going to be long-term? Is this really going to help me live the type of life that I want to live that's in line with my values? We ask people to do really simple things that are not easy. And that's, that's why so we're here good. for the long road with them. It's a great line. It's so good. It's basically like we're selling the gray area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not glamorous. It's very no. hard. It's and, not sexy to be like, hey, it turns out you already have the tools you need. Just trust your body and like ignore all the other noise. Like, well, like pardon me. No, everyone else is telling me to be afraid of my natural inclination or like what I enjoy or all of this food and like that I need to do all these things. So like, how can I trust you? Because it, it, it's too simple. Like the idea is behind it. But like Hannah said, it's certainly not easy. That's one of our previous episodes with Brie Campo, a spotty image with Brie, like same thing. She's like, people want to be comfortable. They want to be happy. So if you're saying like, oh, I have to like sit in the suck and like work through this, like we don't want to do that. And usually it's not about the food. It's not Never. about the fitness, <laughs> right? Like as dietitians, we know like there's something usually deeper going on and the food is what we're trying to control or the food like not always every you know everyone's story is different but usually it's not about the food or the body there's there's well, a and like I was just talking to one of my clients on Tuesday we were just talking about emotion like the like labels and the way that she pathologizes emotional eating and um we, and we were just talking about how it's um for her like or how like a newborn baby how we don't like berate a newborn baby when they cry because they're hungry like when they feel their internal cue of hunger we're not like how could you like <laughs> oh there must be something wrong with you baby or like when they get comfort or pleasure or joy or support or connection from feeding we're not like oh my gosh can you believe that baby is emotionally eating with its mother like emotionally eating is wrong I hope that baby exercises like we're so aware that a baby eats for a variety of reasons and feeds for a variety of reasons and even if their hunger gets extreme and they respond in an extreme way, like we're so supportive and receptive, but like very quickly after that, like maybe even a toddler, we're getting to a point where we're like so pathologizing of like why they're choosing certain things and wanting to make sure this isn't in it and they're learning this and not using food to soothe, but not using this to nourish. Like the rules start so early. Like, of course it takes us time to, you know, work on them and like erase them, whether that's like just a disordered pattern or like 
a life of like yo-yo dieting or a true eating disorder, like those are things that are so ingrained. And so like the biggest piece is self-compassion. Like it's not going to be an easy road, certainly because of all these messages we've learned and imprinted from like the youngest possible place. So good. I feel like the name of this episode is how to make eating consistently sexy. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's so true. You guys speak so eloquently on all of these like incredibly important topics and pieces. And it's really just such a gift to hear the way that you string it together and how you've seen it really in real life in so many different ways that it's just, it blows my mind too. I think now that I'm more aware of all of this happening to so many different types of people, it's now when you look at social media and you look at these other health professionals, even in our own field, it's just like, you want to help them too. And that's hard. (laughs) Do you agree with that? Yeah. Well, and you don't know what you don't know, right? Like, and I was saying this the other, uh, like, well, pre-pandemic, which feels like years ago, but really only a month ago, I was out at UBC doing some teaching and I was talking to a student just saying like, when I went to school, we learned weight loss. Like (laughs) I'm a dietitian. I love the UBC program, but I learned weight loss. I learned even just a 10% decrease in your body weight is going to increase all health, long-term health. And we go into this profession because we want to help people improve their health. Like we're not going into it to try and like shame and hurt or harm them. We like truly believe in our message. And so for me, it's been, you know, through, I didn't know what I didn't know. And the more I learn, the more I realize how like any of those teachings, how harmful they are and focusing on weight, which just isn't a behavior, how much impact that can have on people. But it's not about like judging professionals who you know, think they're doing the best. It's more just like, can we come together and have these conversations and provide a new voice? Because like, I do think most people, I mean, I think a lot of people are out for profit, but like, I also try to believe in the best in people that I think they do believe in some benefit too, that they're providing for people. And so like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And that's why it's so important to have these conversations and start to, you know, be these advocates and these voices so that there's a new voice in this conversation instead of just a focus on, changing your body because that's so like so pronounced in the world right now and it's just you know we want to quiet it so well said and I think I think that's a great way to put it you don't know what you don't know um and just keeping that lens of curiosity I forget the episode I'll have to go back and find it but I know Christy Harrison does a, a really good episode on her podcast food psych about this about I think she's talking to all medical professionals, but specifically more dietitians. of there's a, a point of compassion. Um, and then it, then it eventually hits a point where if you've heard the message, you know, the message and you're choosing not to go that route, then it, it's kind of like a breaking point where you're, you're choosing to harm people. And so it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing, but you know, Jenna and I share our stories on episode one of our podcast and we both we're deeply rooted in diet culture beyond (laughs) belief Um, and we're more than happy to share that so yeah if any dietitians or medical professionals are listening I'm like I don't know how to get out like I think you have four people here that would be more than happy to help you and and start that conversation for sure I have the certificate of training in adult weight weight management I think was like the only certificate I ever got from the academy of nutrition like in 2000 
10 maybe i don't even know um but yeah i mean that's still to date like one of the only certifications that they offer <laughs> like it's tough but i think that there was a lot of knowledge shared today and hopefully just planting seeds for those that are listening you know if it relates we can keep watering them on your podcast, which we need you guys to plug right now and also here as well. Um, we always ask our listeners for one, or our, I'm sorry, our guests for one nutrition tipsy. So I think this entire episode, which we say often was a whole combination of tipsies, but if there's one thing that you could share with the listeners, one message that you really strongly wanted to hit home, you know, what would that be? So for me, my big message is you can either eat for weight, you can eat to change your weight, or you can eat to improve your health. And I always want people to know that you can't necessarily pick two at the same time. If you pursue health, then you could have improved mental health, physical health, mental health, health that improves your entire quality of life. And your weight can do one of three things. It can increase, it can decrease, or it might stay the same. If you want to eat in a way that just manages your weight, you might lose everything to do with your health. And so really thinking about your core values and what you want out of your life and, um, and, and, and making that choice of which one you want. And I think that eating for your health can be more rewarding than people could ever know. And I can hold on to that truth for them and help them walk through it. But the most exciting is when they can see that for themselves. Oh, that was really well said. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> we say all the same thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I completely agree with Hannah. Surprise, surprise. Um, I, yeah, I guess the other thing that I keep kind of stressing for my clients is that like the sole function of our physical body isn't actually to change weight. Um, you know, we act like that's the only reason our body exists is either to like gain weight, lose weight, stay the same. And so that's where we need to tailor every action we take for the rest of our lives. And as it turns out, our body does a hell of a lot more than that. And not even just physiologically, which we could get into like hours and hours and hours of podcasts, just breaking down the basic physiology that our body is able to do when we're fueling it. Even when we're not fueling it, our body is able to do miraculous things. But like Hannah said, like a well-fueled machine is actually able to support a life that's so fulfilled in emotional, spiritual, mental, like physical wellness, and just is so, can be so engaged in the world around us. And so when we invalidate this incredible machine by limiting it just to being about the number on the scale, and I'm not saying that in a way of judging people who struggle with their concerns around weight but when we invalidate what this body can do and what our lives can be because of a number that's been like predecided for us by some health organization that's like archaic and and doesn't make any logical sense then you know we don't get an opportunity to celebrate and like both of us hannah and i we live for the ability and the times where we can like help our clients celebrate their bodies and celebrate through food and connect to their bodies and so you know, that's the, that's the name of the game. And that's what our work centers around. That was amazing. I think part two needs to be about how to surround yourself with the people that support you and can really support that message. Because as you guys are speaking this, I'm, what I hear a lot is how unaligned some of either clients or families or friends that surround some of my clients um, or people I've worked with in the past have been and how that can really tarnish the message of change in what they're trying to do and, you know, celebrating those moments. Will you come back for part two? 
Definitely. You <laughs> like, that's really why we started our podcast. Like we didn't, and to, we wanted to have a voice that our patients and clients could give to their family and friends that they could start to like walk the walk or at least understand the talk of what they're bringing home from treatment. So like a lot of our clients and patients were saying, Hey, like we're in now, like we, we buy what you're saying, or we're going to work on what you're saying, but no one around us understands what that means. Or like people around us are engaging in these practices. So like we created our podcast as a way of like making our voice consistent so that not just for our patients and clients who see us every day, but for their family and friends, the people in their life to hear the message and try to understand it from the perspective of like science-based information instead of, you know, what they're believing from social media. That's great. That's so, it's so important. So two last questions. One, if someone um, is listening and they think like, they may have an eating disorder or they need additional resources, where would you guys recommend pointing them to? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously we're Canadian dietitians. So like there are like Canadian and American resources, like any of the like national eating disorder awareness, um, nonprofits are good places to start. Um, eating, we have like a Canadian eating disorder awareness network that we would refer people to. The first step would probably be going to see your family doctor I mean, certainly if you, there's concerns about like health and that can be really complicated, especially if, it, if we're not talking about a change in weight necessarily associated with an eating disorder, which again, like that's another topic in, in <laughs> itself of weight stigma. Um, but I always recommend that people, first of all, go to their family doctors and then also contact their um, national, like go online and find some national resources because it's a good way to kind of start to find people who are aligned in the same messaging as well. Awesome. And if people are listening today and they want to find your guys' podcast and they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? We have tons of ways to get in touch. <laughs> um, so you can find our podcast on all major podcast streaming sites. It's called Let Us Eat Cake. If you want to find us on Instagram, we're at Eat Cake Pod. And then our whole podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions. So we really want to spend our episodes talking about the things that people have questions about. So we're always accepting questions to discuss on the air. So if you want to send us a question, you can email us at eatcakepod at gmail.com. Or you can just send us a message on Instagram as well. That's a really great way to get in touch with us. Awesome. Well, thank you ladies so much for your time. Um, and of course. And there will definitely be a part two at some point for sure. Great. Thank you. Thanks guys. Bye. Guys, thank you so much for listening and being here with us. I am virtually cheersing all of you. We absolutely love sipping on a cocktail with you and sharing as many nutrition tipsies as possible during this episode. We know there are a ton of pods out there and we are so appreciative of your time that you spent listening to us today. Please be sure to check out the show notes for episode details and all of our guest information. We promise to keep bringing you the best and the most knowledgeable and fun guests we possibly can. Please be sure to subscribe, like, share, and post if you enjoyed our content today. And visit us on Instagram and Facebook at Drunk Dietitians to find out what is up next for us on the pod. We absolutely love you. We appreciate you and can't wait to spend more time cheersing with you soon.